Thank you very much. It's October 1991. The Andrea Gale is going on to her port, Gloucester, Massachusetts. And she's had a really poor catch. And so Captain Billy Tyne, what he decides to do is he's going to make one more late season attempt to sort of, sort of resurrect this really bad fishing season. And once he goes out, he goes out and he goes to this place called Fleming Cap. And at Fleming Cap, he's able to have a really good catch. Here's the problem. The ice machine breaks down. And in order to save the catch, they have to go home, back home to Gloucester, Massachusetts. But here's the problem. In front of them is these two really big storms, huge weather fronts, and a hurricane on top of that. And they make the decision that they're going to try and just go through that. And what happens is, is they totally underestimate the storm and the power of the storm. They said that they tracked waves as from anywhere from 40 to 100 feet high. The last recorded words of Captain Billy Tyne is this. She's coming on, boys. She's coming on strong. The crew and the ship are lost at sea. They never return home. It's what we call a perfect storm. And in meteorological terms, it's this the situation that creates this very horrible and violent storm. But we know it in life a little bit different. It's called the perfect storm. And usually what happens is a series of events, bad events, that sort of just cluster around us. These huge waves of, uh, and winds of bad events, they gather around us and they create a really horrible, horrible thing in our lives. It's, it's called the perfect storm. As we begin to think about, and we continue our study, lies from the angel of light, I think there's a perfect storm when it comes to Christ's church. It looks something like this. This perfect storm, there is a perfect storm at sea, but there's a perfect storm when it comes to believing the lie by the angel of light. And here's how this works. You take the wind of Satan's lies, and it goes something like this. I hate church folk, but I love God. Or how about this? I love Jesus, but I hate organized religion. All I need is Jesus, and I really, Monty, I just don't need the church. Or how about this? I am spiritual, but I'm not religious. And that's the winds of Satan's lies. And then what happens is, is you take the waves of reasons of why people don't go to church. And some of them are very legitimate and some of them are not. And, and here's some of the reasons why people don't go to church. They go, hey, listen, I could get a better sermon on a podcast. Or how about this? I just find it a lot easier to worship on my own. And especially since COVID, right? Or how about this reason? I have Christian friends, and I want to let you know they are my church. Or church is boring, or church is too political, or all they want is my money. Or how about this one? I have been hurt by church members, or the favorite, hey, they're just a bunch of hypocrites up there. They're just a bunch of hypocrites up there. 
I don't trust the church leadership. There's been just too many moral failures when it comes to the church leadership. I don't feel welcome. I don't have time. I don't feel like church is really making a difference in my life. I can't find any type of community at church, and the reasons go on and on and on. And what happens is this. When you combine, when you combine the, the wind of Satan's lies and you've you come across with the with the the waves the waves of people's reasoning you create what we call this perfect spiritual storm and this perfect spiritual t- storm is why people believe that they could have Jesus but not the church it's this perfect storm is why Christians get lost at sea And all of a sudden, they are just tossed and turned by every whim, by every impulse that goes on in this world. Perfect storm or not, it's really important for us to look at this lie today and speak God's truth to this lie. And not only speak God's truth to this lie, but as Christians, understand our responsibility. Our responsibility as Christians to expose this lie, but also be a testimony, a witness to combat the lie that says, I have Jesus, but I don't need church. So here's why it's a lie, that I don't have to be a part of, I could have Jesus, but be a part of his church. It goes something like this, and it's really important for us to understand that we understand what we're talking about when we, we deal with the church. There's what we call the universal church, the universal church of Jesus Christ. And the universal church is the church, and when you are baptized into Christ, you are baptized into his universal church. There's the universal church, and then there's the local body. And the local body is made up of people who gather together locally, and what they've decided to do is to encourage each other and spread the news about Jesus Christ. We make that decision to join forces with other people in the local church. But to combat these lies of separation, I think it's important for us to hear these truths. Number one is this. To combat these lies, it goes something like this. The church, universal or local, is the place Jesus puts me when I am saved. There's this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. It says this, that when we're baptized, we're baptized into Christ and we're baptized into the body of Christ. Understand the who does the placement. The placement is done by Jesus Christ himself. That's not any of our choice. It's he who places us in the church. It is by his action that we are placed in this church, in the church. Now we have a choice to go to the local church. We have a choice to be engaged in the local church. But the placement into the universal body of Christ is done by Jesus Christ himself. The second way to combat this lie is to say this. We can't love the bridegroom and hate the bride. We can't love the bridegroom and hate the, 
hate the bride. There is this unmistakable picture in Scripture. It is just beautiful. It is this beautiful imagery where it says something like this, that Jesus is the bridegroom and His church, us as Christians, are the bride. And there's all these passages, specifically Ephesians chapter 5, that passage in there. And what it says in Ephesians chapter 5 is, is that Christ loves the church as a husband loves his wife. It says this, that Christ presented the church without stain or wrinkle or blemish. The church is holy and blameless because of Jesus Christ. And in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 2, it says this, the church is the beautiful bride dressed for Jesus. Can you imagine doing something like this? Money. Dude, you're a really good friend. Man, I love you. And I love hanging out with you. But I really can't stand Diana. Does that sound bad to you? I, I love Diana anyway. Okay, don't... <laughs> Could you, could you imagine saying that to somebody? Hey, I really, really like you, but I can't stand your bride. I mean, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever when, we're, when we do it like in these types of relationships, let alone the relationship between Christ and the church. It doesn't work well in these relationships, and it doesn't work well when we're talking about the body of Christ. Here's the other thing to combat the lie is this. We can't despise the thing that Jesus paid such a high price for. Over and over and over again in Scripture, here's what it says. Jesus loved the church so much that He laid down His life for the church in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, as Paul's giving his farewell to the Ephesians elders, he says this, I want to let you know something. You be careful. You watch out for that flock, the church. And he says this, same, which he bought with his own blood. We go back to Ephesians in chapter 5, and it says that Jesus gave himself for the church. In other words, what he did at that moment, the action there is he completely surrendered everything for the church. He gave his life, his body, he hung on a cross, he endured horrible treatment. Why? Because he loved the church. And we can't say that we have Jesus and not the church because here's the point. Jesus paid too high of a price for us to make that statement or to believe that lie. You know, I wish we lived in a world, I wish we lived in a world when we said church, everybody had a really positive experience with that word. I mean, I wish we lived in a, in a place where we said church and everybody went, oh man, I love church. But we don't, unfortunately. And that's not the case. And, and sometimes bad things have happened in the church. They have. And it's, and it's easy sometimes to get caught up in the negative press about the church and sometimes we forget that the church is a God-given thing. And there's so many positive things that go on in the church. And I thought it would be really helpful for us today to do this. 
Why would I not want to be a part of Christ Church? Why would I not want to be a part of it? To deal with the positive aspects of the importance of the church and why I wouldn't want to be a part of Christ Church. So let me share with you some things of why it's just, why would we not want to be a part of the church? The first thing is this. The local church is God's expression of his best interest in me. Here's what I believe. Here, here's how I sort of operate. I don't sort of operate. I operate this way. I believe the work that God does in my life is for my best spiritual interest. I believe that. I believe that God's work and movement in my life is because of his, he, has, he just has my best interest at mind. And, and, and that means a lot of different things, doesn't it? It means sometimes he comes in and he disciplines me. And sometimes he comes in and he says, hey, Bill, slaps me upside the head and says, you need to get your act together. But it also means this. It means that God is going to position me and place me in the best place possible for me. And you know where that is? It's the local church. It's the local church. And that's God's way of saying, I have your best interest in mind, Bill. And it's found in the local church. The other thing is this. The local church is where I grow spiritually. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And I want to take a look at this passage, 4, 11 through 16. I'm going to read it here in just a minute. And I want you to understand sort of the, the dual nature of spiritual growth. There is an aspect to spiritual growth that is very individualistic or very independent. It means something like this. At the end of the day, I'm responsible for my own spiritual growth. I am responsible. I'm responsible for my Bible reading. I'm responsible for my prayer. I am responsible for practicing the spiritual disciplines. But where does that take place? That's what's really interesting. Now, let's read Ephesians chapter 4. We'll start in verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity of faith and in the knowledge of the Son and become mature, attaining to the, attaining to the whole uh, measure of the fullness of Christ. Then, going back to storms, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of men. Instead, speaking the truth of love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. That is Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Again, there's this individual aspect of spiritual growth, but understand where the context that comes. It comes within the body of Christ. It says that what God does is, is he neatly packs us together 
in this passage here, he neatly packs us together for, watch this, for spiritual growth. And when I take myself outside of, if I make a decision to take myself outside of the local body of Christ, I'm literally taking myself out of the possibility of spiritual growth. Not only do we find spiritual growth in the church, but the church is where I get to exercise my spiritual giftedness. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, it says this, that when we're baptized into Christ, we are given a gift by the Holy Spirit. It's my spiritual gift. It's my spiritual gift, and I get to exercise this spiritual gift in the local body context. And it means, and it looks something like this, and it's this beautiful thing that goes on, that when I come into the body of Christ, I look around and I begin to exercise my spiritual gift and, and Lord willing, and hopefully, and I think it does, I think it encourages you. And it encourages me that I get to exercise that. But it just doesn't stop there. Here's the beautiful part of this exercising spiritual gifts. The beautiful part of it is, is that you're gifted likewise. You're gifted likewise, and because you're gifted when you come in, I get, the, I get to feel and understand and be encouraged by the beauty of your spiritual gift. And all this takes place within the local church. This beautiful dynamic, this beautiful synergy that comes together when you're using your spiritual gift and I'm using our spiritual gift. And we all come together and we share in our spiritual gifts together. Turn to your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. And I think this is what he's talking about in Romans chapter 12. We're going to start reading in verse 4. Or let's start with verse 3. It says this, For the by the grace given me I say to each one of you, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us have one body with many members, these members do not have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to one another. And now watch what he does. Watch what Paul does here. It's this beautiful thing. Okay, we're a part of this body of Christ, and there's many members, but there's one. So what do we do in the body of Christ? Listen to this. We have different gifts According to the grace given us, if a man's gift is prophesying, let, it use, let him use it in the proportion to his faith. It is, if it's serving, let him serve. And if it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Did you see what's happening here? It's in the local church that we mutually share our gifts together and we mutually encourage each other and build each other up. And that is found in the local church. Finally is this, the best, the local church is where my needs are met. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 32, I think it's one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible. I love this passage because there's this phrase there and it says this, there was no needy person among them. I love that phrase. I love that phrase. And I understand the context. The context is emphasizing that there were certain members who 
when there was a, when, when there was a financial need, that what they would do is they would sell their possessions in order to make sure the needs of the body of Christ was met. But I think the principle is much larger. I believe the principle is this, that when they came together, there was this aspect and there was this importance of making sure that whatever they had to do, there was no needy person among them. While sunset is not a perfect place, I really believe with all my heart that this spirit and this attitude is found here. I believe that. I believe that. I believe that we're a church that tries to meet the needs of other people. Think about some of the different ways today of all time. I was preaching this sermon, and my point here is, we have this Sunday contribution. I go, hey, that's today. We take up the fifth Sunday contribution, and Monty, as Monty talked about, you know what we do with that? We take that fifth Sunday contribution, and we help people in this church who are in need. With all sorts of needs, financial, emotional, counseling. We just help people. I know that we've walked with people through crisis tragedy and trials. We come alongside with them and, and we just help them out. One of the beautiful things we do on WOW besides singing, which I want to encourage you to, to come Wednesday night at 7, one of the encouraging things we do is we call a thing called a cup of blessing. And a cup of blessing is this. It's just this free will offering. It's a free will offering, which means this. Give if you want to give. And we take that cup of blessing and we just give it to somebody. We just give it to somebody. One summer, I think this is right, Monty, I think we raised over $21,000 in just the cup of blessing alone. It was a be- it's just a beautiful thing. And, and that's what I mean. It's in the local church where our needs are met. Well, you might be thinking today is this, Bill, why in the world are you doing a sermon about not needing church when we're in church? You're preaching to the choir, Bill. We're here. Why are you saying this to us? Because Monty asked me to preach this sermon. No, not really, all right? <laughs> why are you saying to this? Here's the reason why. Because here's the point. It's our responsibility as Christians to speak to and show that this is a lie that I could have Jesus and not the church. It means this, as Christians, we are the best answers for why people should come to church. Let me say that again. As Christians, we are the best answer for why people should come to church. Now, I know we could do a Bible study about that, and that's been part of my sermon here. Part of my sermon has just been doing a Bible study about this, but I want to let you know the best way to convince people the need of the church is by our lives. Over and over again, Scripture will bear witness to the importance of it. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill. Let your light shine before others so that you may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Or how about this one? For at one time you were in darkness, but now you're in the light. Walk as children of light. 
be blameless and innocent. Children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights to the world. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15. And I want you to know there's this really, really powerful testimony that goes on about the church when we act as lights to the world. Here's what it looks like. is something like this. When we treat people equally as creations of God, That's a powerful testimony to the church. And when we look out and we we help those who have been disenfranchised by our society, James talks about the widows and the orphans specifically. And when we do that, it is a powerful testimony to the church. And when we do marriage right, when we do marriage according to the way God wants it, it's a powerful testimony to the local church. And listen, when we, when we treat people the way that they need to be treated, when we refuse to speak ill of them or we don't talk behind their backs or when we display the fruit of the, of the Holy Spirit to them, it is a powerful testimony that speaks and sheds light on the lie that I could have Jesus and not the local church. But I want to take us one step further today. One step further is this. I want us to embrace some things. I want us to embrace a challenge or challenges. And it looks something like this. Embrace being a part of Christ's church if you're not one today. I spoke about this earlier in my sermon. 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 says we're baptized in the body of Christ. Today, I want to let you know is this. If you've not been baptized into Jesus Christ, take care of that today. Embrace that today. Or how about this? Embrace being the church and not just attending the church. Now, here's what I mean. Don't get caught up into church just being a one-time event for you every week. It's the one thing you do one time a week. Don't attend church. Be church. And, And it looks something like this. Find out what your spiritual gift is, and we could help you with that. Take that spiritual gift and make a straight line to a ministry here of this church, and we could help you with that. Attend a Bible class. Be involved in a small group. Find a place to serve. Do all of that. Be church, not just attend church. Embrace that reality. How about this? Embrace being the best possible example to the world. As Christians, whether we like this or not, we are on constant display to this world. We are on constant display to the world all the time all the time. It never stops. We are on constant display to this world, and we struggle, and we fail, and we don't live up to our expectations, let alone God's expectation. Yet in all of this, let's do our best. Let's do our best to represent Christ to this world. I like this verse. It's 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12. Live, listen to this, live such good lives 
live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day that he visits us. Finally is this, embrace speaking about the church. In Acts chapter 8, there was this severe persecution that came upon the church. And what's really interesting about this persecution is what they did with that. As they went, they spoke about Christ. They spoke about His church. They just embraced that. And I've told you this before earlier is this. I love Sunset. And I know, again, we're not perfect. But I love the spirit of this church. So i got to let you know something. I don't mind asking people to this church. I like asking people to come to this church. And, and, and I hope you do too. And, and, and if you can't do that, then here's what we need to do, right, Monty? We need to sit down and we need to figure that thing out. We need to figure that thing out. And we'll be glad to do that with you. I want to think you, I want to let you know is this. If we'll just embrace these truths, it will do more to expose the lie that I could have Jesus and not the church than anything else that we could do. Here's what's happened is this. The angel of light and unfortunately people have created this perfect storm. They've created a perfect storm about Christ's church. And, and here's who we are. We are the people that help them navigate through this spiritual storm that Satan has created. And that's what we're called to do today. And that's my call to you today. And if we could help you with that, come as we stand and as we sing.